There we go. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 2. I'm going to be reading out of the Net translation here this morning. So here we are. Now, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a violent wind blowing came from heaven and filled the entire house where they were sitting. And tongues spreading out like a fire appeared to them and came to rest on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven residing in Jerusalem. When this sound occurred, a crowd gathered and was in confusion because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Completely baffled, they said, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that each one of us hears them in our own native native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and the providences of Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and other parts of of Libya near Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we're hearing them speaking in our own language about the great deeds God has done. All were astounded and greatly confused, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others jeered at the speaker, saying, They're drunk on new wine! (laughs) But Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed them, You men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, know this and listen carefully to what I say. In spite of what you think, these men are not drunk, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. But this is what was spoken about through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it will be, God says, that I will pour out my spirit on all people. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy, and your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. And I will perform wonders in the sky above and miraculous signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will be changed to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord comes. And then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, a man clearly attested to you by God with powerful deeds, wonders, and miraculous signs that God performed among you through him, just as you yourselves know, this man who was handed over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you executed by nailing him to a cross at the hands of Gentiles. But God raised him up having released him from the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held in its power. For David says about him, I saw the Lord always in front of me, for he is at my right hand so that I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My body also will live in hope, because you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor permit your Holy One to experience decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of joy with your presence. Brothers, I can speak confidently to you about our forefather David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. 
So then, because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to to seat one of his descendants on his throne, David, by foreseeing this, spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his body experience decay. This Jesus, God raised up, and we are all witnesses of it. So then, exalted to the right hand of God and having received the promise of the Holy Spirit from the Father, he has poured out what you both see and hear. For David did not ascend into heaven, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all of the house of Israel know beyond a shadow of doubt that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were acutely distressed and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, what should we do, brothers? Peter said to them, repent and each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and your children and for all who are far away as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. With many other words he testified and and exhorted them, saying, Save yourself from this perverse generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added. They were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer. Reverential awe came over everyone. And many wonders and miraculous signs came about by the apostles. All who believed were together and held everything in in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and distributing the proceeds to everyone, as anyone had need. Every day they continued to gather together by common consent in the temple courts, breaking bread from house to house, sharing their food with glad and humble hearts, praising God having and having the goodwill of all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number every day those who were being saved. Lord, teach us. Reveal to us your heart. Reveal to us you. Lord, let us experience the pouring out and the pouring in of your Holy Spirit here today. As we await your, your final and victorious coming, Lord Jesus, one day. Lord, give us the spirit of peace as you pour yourself out among your church. We love you, Jesus. Open up our hearts and our minds to, to hear and to, to experience you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Whew, it's long. <laughs> Still seven minutes, all right. <laughs> So, uh, reading chapter, uh, Acts chapter 2. <clears throat> so normally when we think about this passage, we think about this. We think about this, this image, this picture of fire, the, of tongues, these little, 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 you know, hanging out on people's heads and stuff like that. Um, and it's like, okay, if that were to happen, if I were to see that like right now, I would be like, what? <laughs> but, so, in, in your, <laughs> Right. Don't let yourself on fire. That's that would be bad. <laughs> but the but you know, as it says, like tongues of fire, and every time I looked at tongues of fire, you know, when you look at a fire, 
Anyone love looking at a fire? I love looking at a fire. Anyone love campfires, right? Man, I tell you what, one of my favorite things about, about campfire, you know, about summertime is campfires. You know, my favorite time in Southern <laughs> California <clears throat> was, was sitting on the beach around a campfire. That's where I learned how to cook s'mores for my dad. He'd make them huge. You know. But campfires, and then what do you watch? You watch the tongues of fire flaming off of the wood, off of your material. For us, it was the bonfires of the pallets, right? Not that anyone did that out here. You know. <clears throat> but, but you see the, the, the tongues of fire. It's, it's that the flames. So they're describing what it's like, what, would it, what it was like in, the, in that room. And this is kind of more what it would look like, what it would feel like. It's just this, this indwelling presence that was, that was, they were trying to describe the spirit by using human words of flames, tongues of fire, just engulfing and resting on each one. And just, and they're like, we don't know how to describe this, but it looks like this. Right? It's, but think about it. What else do we see that was consumed by fire, yet it was not consumed? The burning bush. God's presence on a burning bush. Flames of fire. He recognized it as, as this physical looking thing, but he went, as he got closer, he was experiencing and encountering the presence of God. And he was overwhelmed. He was overcome. Now imagine that, and you're in the bush. That's what this is. They are now the bush that the Holy Spirit is engulfing and yet not consuming. They're not setting themselves on fire. Crazy awesome picture that I found. This is in Mozambique, Africa. And this is a testimony. The guy was like, guys, I took this picture. I didn't do anything to it. He's like, it was dark. We were setting up for a, like a Jesus film about to preach the gospel in Mozambique. And this happened and I had to take a picture. This is what's going on. This is, it's still happening. It's still going on. God is still appearing like this today. Miraculous signs and wonders. The Holy Spirit being poured out. So that question, this, what is this? What is this? That's what they were asking themselves. They're like, what is this? You know, like that was the question in what is it? In, in, uh, in, uh, in, verse, in verse 12. You know, what is this? What, is the, what does this mean? What is going on? And Peter was like, this is what was spoken about through the prophet Joel. The pouring out of his Holy Spirit. The coming and the advent of God's presence. The Holy Spirit that was anointed upon King David and the prophets. Elijah. Even Enoch, who was taken before even the flood came. The Holy Spirit being poured out. Now, all over the Old Testament, there is instance after instance after instance of the Spirit of Yahweh, the Spirit of God being poured out and and walking with and being present, being seen in different ways and shapes and forms. So Holy Spirit's always been there in the Scriptures. From Genesis to Revelation, He's there all over the place. And remember, Holy Spirit is a third member of the Trinity along with the Father and the Son. And growing up, my, my, whole, my Holy Trinity was the you know, Father, Son, and Holy Bible. You know, growing up Southern Baptist. You know, <laughs> so we only talked about the Holy Spirit when the elders, you know, when the deacons needed to make a decision. Right? But the, the Trinity, 
The Trinity is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He is just as worthy, like we talked about last week, just as worthy of our worship as Jesus. Right? Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Holy Spirit, you make the darkness tremble. Putting his, his name into our worship. Praying to him, praying by him. Worshiping him and adoring him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Holy Spirit. Right? So, but here's the question. What if God's Holy Spirit never came? What if God's Holy Spirit never came? Think about this. We saw Jesus. We saw the cross. We saw the empty tomb and the resurrection. But no Holy Spirit. Well, we'd still be under the Mosaic law and covenant. With Jesus as our scapegoat, so that we'd no longer do the whole scapegoaty thing, right? They would no longer do the sacrifices in the temple, but we'd still have to go to a temple to get near God's presence because they believe that God's presence resided in the building. We would still be a part of this law and covenant just without the sacrificial system. Grace would still need to be appropriated to our lives constantly through, but because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, but all the, and they would replace the sacrifice, like I said, in the temple. But we still need to go to the temple in Jerusalem to be near God's presence because they believe that that's where Yahweh's presence was. The mercy seat was on the ark inside the temple. But, I love this, but God, right, tore the veil. The veil was in the temple that separated the, the place of the Holy of Holies to the regular, regular altar. The place where the, t- the priests were and offering incense and stuff like that, like Zechariah in, in, in Luke chapter two, Luke chapter one, when he was offering incense before the, the presence of God, right? And then you have this big curtain that separated this altar space from the Holy of Holies, from God's presence. It was concealing God's mercy seat, the presence of God, the presence of his, what they called the Shekinah or dwelling presence of God's spirit, of the spirit of Yahweh on the Ark of the Covenant. But what happened was when Jesus died, the veil was torn from what? Top to bottom. Showing that it wasn't some you know, group of priests that like, you know, ran in and like tore it from the bottom up. It was top to bottom. God ripped the veil. Why? Yes, to allow us into God's presence, but more so, to unleash the Holy Spirit. It was like, now the Holy Spirit has been poured out on everyone, everywhere. A fulfillment of Joel chapter 2. This is, this is the river that was foreseen in Ezekiel. This is Ezekiel 47. It says this, <coughs> Then he brought me back to the entrance of the temple. I noticed that that water was flowing from under the threshold of the temple toward the east. For the temple faced east. The water was flowing down from under the right side of the temple from south of the altar. He led me out by way of the north gate and brought me around the outside of the outer gate and that faces toward the east. I noticed that the water was trickling out from the south side. 
When the man went out toward the east with the measuring line in his hand, he measured 1,750 feet. And then he held, led me through the water, which was ankle deep. Again, he measured 70, 17, 70, 1,750 feet and led me through the water, which was now knee deep. Uh, once more, he measured 1,750 feet and led me through the water, which was waist deep. Again, he measured 1,750 feet, and it was a river I could not cross, for the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in, a river that could not be crossed. He said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? Then he held me, held me back to the, led me back to the bank of the river. When I returned, I noticed a vast number of trees on the banks of the river on both sides. He said to me, These waters go out toward the eastern region and flow down into the rift valley. Then they enter the Dead Sea, where the sea is stagnant. The waters become fresh. Every living creature that swarms where the river flows will live. There will be many fish, for these waters flow there. It will become fresh, and everything will live where the river flows. Fishermen will stand beside it, from the Engedi to El Eglaim. There it is. They will spread nets. They will catch many kinds of fish, like the fish of the great sea. But its swamps and its marshes will not become fresh. They will remain salty. On both sides of the river, river's banks, every kind of tree will grow for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. And they will bear fruit every month because the, their water source flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. I want to focus in on the last part of that, of verse 9. Everything will live where the river flows. This river is a symbol of the Holy Spirit coming out, pouring out, spilling out of the Holy of Holies. And now that the veil is torn, the river is flowing. The river is flowing out of the temple and it's flooding the earth. It's bringing fresh water and fresh life all over the place, all the way down even to the Dead Sea. And saying, because of the freshness of this water, there will be fish that can live in it again. Has anyone ever been to the, De- the Dead Sea? One, my, my, re- my other, woo, Israel friend, right? So I got to go back in 2011, and it's crazy. It's crazy. The, the, the Dead Sea is crazy. You don't swim. You float. Not on purpose. You have to purposely like try to push your legs down to try, try to get your legs down, but otherwise you're like, bloop. You know, on your back or bloop because there's so much salt. It's 30% salt. It's the most salinic. Yeah, that. <laughs> it's the saltiest body of water in the world. It's also the deepest place on the earth that you can go. It is like 3,000 feet below sea level. And so it's cra- It's pretty crazy there too. But his, I, I feel so bad. There was this old guy there that was that he was in the water, but he, I guess he splashed or something and got some in his eye, and he was screaming bloody murder. He's like, ah, ah, ah! Like people were running over it, like squirting with water and stuff. Nothing can live in it. Not a single thing can live in the Dead Sea. No fish, no no water, no aquatic life, nothing. Nothing. It's straight up just water, just salt water. Now, it can be, you know, the mud puddles are awesome. You go over there and you're like spreading the mud all over yourself and you rinse it off. You're like, oh, I feel so smooth. 
It's amazing. It feels like a baby's bottom. But, but this body of water is transformed by the rivers of life coming from the temple. So this imagery is that no matter the depths of this earth, no matter the darkness and the corruption and, the, and, and, and just the place where nothing can live, where there's no life in this world, God's spirit can enter and can flow into them and bring life. The places where you think are hopeless, the people that you think are beyond hope, God's river flows. And what does it say? Everything will live where the river flows. Wherever God's Holy Spirit goes, there will be life that follows. And where is Holy Spirit today? In us. In God's kingdom. In God's church. In you, God's people. Because without the pouring out of God's Holy Spirit, none of this would have happened. None of this would have happened. There would be no life in the church, nor our, in our lives. We could have forgiveness of sins, but still be strug- you know, struggling, be the struggling religious like Paul described himself in Romans 7 constantly struggling with sin and never feeling able to do the things that God wanted he felt like God wanted him to do because his 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 flesh was still this body of death I love how John Stott put it he said without the holy spirit there can be no life giver no understanding without the spirit of truth no fellowship without the unity of the holy spirit no christ likeness of character apart from his fruit and no effective witness without his power as a body without a breath is a corpse, so the church without the spirit is dead. I feel a stirring in my, in my spirit. Follow it. Churches can be void of the Holy Spirit because they've resisted him. They've shunned him. They've shut him down. They have silenced him. They have grieved him by not welcoming him. And that's why I want this, this sermon series to have that theme. That prayer, prayer, if you will, that three-worded prayer that should be on all of our hearts. Write it down. Write it in your Bibles. Write it in, on, your, on your note sheets. Write it on every single note sheet you get during this entire series. Do it again, Holy Spirit. I saw that. Do it again. Let that be our prayer. Do it again. You are welcome here. Maybe that should be our theme song. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Let that be our theme. Let that be our prayer. Is that Holy Spirit would be welcome in our lives individually and in our church corporately. Because that's the, the church of, of Ephesus. I'm sorry, and Laodicea. The church of Laodicea had shut God out. So the, the famous line from Revelation 3, here I stand at the door and knock, right? And anyone who opens to me, I will come in and dine with him. He's talking to a church who had shut him out. He's not saying you know, to a non-believer, I'm knocking on the door of your heart, let me in. No, he's saying to the church, let me back in. 
let me back in to my church. But he's a respectful God. He asks permission. He doesn't just burst the door in and barge in. He allows them to open up the door and welcome his fellowship among them. Let's open the door. Holy Spirit is knocking. Let's open the door. Because we want to welcome in his presence. We want to welcome the pouring out of his Holy Spirit upon us. Because the point and the purpose of this, right, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, is peace. The point, like the meaning and the, and the, the vision behind this, and the purpose, meaning the, the reason or the mission, what, the, what God wants to accomplish through this, what is that? The pouring out of the Holy Spirit, the presence of Him in the church, is peace. Irene. Shalom, which means flourishing. Life as God intended it to be. Life as God created it to be in the beginning and will recreate it, recreate it at the end to be. This answers the question, what does this mean? The presence of the Lord and His Messiah, Jesus Christ, has been poured out upon all flesh and everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's, a, it's an open invitation. It's a welcome. It's a God putting himself on display so that people all across the world will see how good and mighty and beautiful and loving he is. This is Yahweh's shalom, his peace. This is the Lord's peace on the earth. And we actually kind of can see this. There's, there's echoes and shadows of this uh, back in, actually in Exodus chapter 19. Because Pentecost itself is actually associated with the giving of the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. This came to be celebrated. There was actually a, you know, the, the celebration during the Pentecost, during Shavuot in those days, was actually the, the Mount Sinai and Moses receiving the Ten Commandments having this God preaching and speaking to him. Because think about this. God provided deliverance and salvation from slavery in Egypt. Then what did, what did he do? Then he gave him his presence in the tabernacle. He led them by fire at night and, and a cloud of smoke during, by the day. He was with them. He met with Moses at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Moses would come out and his face would be like, oh, and they're like, put a, put a sack over your head. We can't stand it. And so this is, he gave him, so after they, he, God delivered them from slavery, he gave them his presence. At Pentecost, God had provided deliverance and salvation from slavery to sin and death. Then he gave them his very presence. He gave us His presence. The pouring out of His Holy Spirit. Instead of going to a tabernacle, He made us into tabernacles. He made each one of us a dwelling place for the presence of God. A place for the Shekinah glory to dwell. 
we see the same signs and wonders today, like we, like we saw in that picture from Mozambique. We see all these different things around us. This is a, a picture from Hebrews chapter 12. For you have not come to something that can be touched to a burning fire and darkness and gloom and a whirlwind and a blast of a trumpet and a voice uttering words uh, such that those who begged to hear no more, for they could not bear what was commanded. Even if an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. That was from Exodus chapter 12, chapter 19. In fact, the scene was so terrifying that Moses said, I shudder with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriad of angels. What he's talking about? He's talking about the church right here. To the assembly and congregation of the firstborn. That's us who are enrolled in heaven. And to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous who have been made perfect. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks of something better than Abel's does. So we see in this, in this passage here, we see the same things in the upper room or in this, in this house as we see in Exodus chapter 19. We see what? We see wind, fire, and voices. Verse 18 there. Think about that. Verse 18, back in this passage here. Where, where is that one at? Um, yeah, there it is. So, you, so for, uh, you, you have not come to something that can be touched, to a burning fire and darkness and gloom and a whirlwind and a blast of trumpet and a voice. Right? So we see the wind, the fire and the voices, the sound of the mighty rushing wind, the fire, the tongues of fire being put on all the people and then them speaking in tongues that they had not learned. Right. So this is, like I said, alluding to Exodus chapter 19 at Sinai. They heard the wind-like whirlwind sound. They saw the fire-like burning apparition. And they spoke the other, other languages, the blast of trumpet, uttering, uttering of languages. But imagine if that were to happen today. Imagine the reports... Like Mozambique, you don't hear about that. I didn't see that one one time on any major news outlet. Look at this miracle! You don't hear about the miracles on the nightly news. No, you won't. Because they are naturally supernatural. Spiritually powerful, physical, and seemingly natural phenomenon that um, what they experienced was more than sensory. And what could be seen, what could be heard. It was spiritual and significant. You could see the things that were happening, like I said. You could hear what was going on. But like today, think about it, about it being on the news today. Oh, there were reports from the district of la la la. And oh yes, there was a microburst that happened over over top of this one house. And 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 that caused a flame up of their of their fire, a cooking fire, which Made them all, you know, made the smoke, you know, go gear up and it looked like it was fire all around them. And they, for some reason, these, you know, fanatics started claiming that this was God. Stupid. Idiots. The main reason why everyone tries to explain away Benny Hinn. I know countless testimonies of people who encountered incredible healing. Healing is still something that God does today. 
you know, like, like I told, I think I told a story about a little while back. I mean, when I, when I was watching this video from Bethel, they came out with this video series of this guy trying just following their mission team, missionary teams, you know, ministry teams around when they were healing people. It looked so natural. There was no like, oh, you know, you know, like beating the beast, the very final scene where there's like light shooting out of his fingers and, and toes. We expect that kind of thing. We expect the theatrical and the crazy and the right. That's what we're expecting. But we just see a guy on his crutches hurting and wincing in pain to all of a sudden like throwing them down, and like running around. We're like, the, where were the lights? Where's the light show? Where was the mighty rushing wind? Where was the voice from heaven? Right? It was spiritual and significant and something happened. But if you weren't paying attention, you would, you would totally miss it. Or discount it. Or, or call it fake. Oh, they were pretending. They were acting. They weren't really injured. I said, I've said it a few weeks ago and I'm going to tell, tell my testimony again. I was healed. Back when I was in, well, Cody, Wyoming, it was where it started, but then it came into really crazy fruition in, in, uh, when we were living in Idaho, I got, to, I guess it was a, a, called as an astigmatism, I guess, but basically like it got to the point to where I could not drive at night because the lights were just big blurs and I couldn't focus on the street. It was, it, it was, I couldn't do it. And so it was one night where I was driving to our home church. Um, and I was like, Amberlynn, I know you can't be with me. And so just pray for me that I make it home, that I don't crash through the Canyon. Right. And so at that night, I was like, guys, this is getting really bad. I need God to heal me. And so they, they came and laid hands on me. They put their hands on my eyes. And immediately when they were starting to pray, my eyes just started gushing tears, just gushing and like, like both sides, like, it's <laughs> like squirting out of my eyes. And it was healed instantly. I drove home that night, clear vision, and it's never come back. God still heals today. That's my testimony. Never had that tick again. Never had the dry eyes, the chronic dry eyes like I did before leading up to that. But there was no crazy whistle, you know, bells and whistles, all sorts of stuff. Because we expect the obvious and the normative. Like we expect that it's, you know, obvious that there's evidence that like we can't miss it, we can see it, we can experience it. And we also don't just expect it to be obvious, but we expect it to be normative. This way, all the time, every time. We expect it to be the scientific method. A plus B equals C. I do this because of this equals healing. And this way. But who is the most inconsistent person of all time? God. Jesus. Look at Jesus. He healed every single person in the Bible differently. There was no scientific method to his method. It was spiritual method, which was God's leading. <laughs> you hear the stories about him, you're like, please don't let, let me be the one that he spits on. Please don't let me be the one that he spits on. <laughs> but God works subtle and strategic. When it comes to the works of the Holy Spirit, we are often on the lookout, like I said, for the flashy, the theatrical, the obvious and we believe them to be consistent. But the things like the wind and fire are not normative. Right? I've prayed the same thing. Like, God, shake this building and you know, give us boldness to preach our faith. And like, oh, we expect all these things. Oh, God, come and have a mighty rushing wind and come with your flames, of, your tongues of fire and fall on us. I want to see it again. Do it again. 
But that's not what we're asking for. We're not asking for the same experience. We're asking for the same power. You do know what, do you know what does happen all the time, every time that we pray and seek God's Holy Spirit? New life, joy, fellowship, worship, freedom, boldness, and power. All these things have happened down through the years and are still being experienced today. It didn't, you know, my, the healing of my eyes didn't come from someone spitting on me or from someone spitting on the ground and putting it in my eyes. I didn't have to go and wash in a pool outside. Thank goodness, because it was snowy. <laughs> Thank goodness he didn't, he didn't say go out and wash in the snow. right? It was just, boom, healed me. These things are normative and indicative of someone who has experienced the indwelling and the filling of the Holy Spirit. People are fascinated. You know, they're fascinated by, and they, and which then leads to them demanding the mysterious, the mystical, and the magical. But God is focused on the peaceful and the purposeful. As I said, the point is purpose the point and purpose of this is the pouring is pouring out of peace i want to close with this so there's a a, a book that my friend emily had, re- had read uh sections of this last week at our theology pub and uh so basically he's talking about how tolstoy had this group of of collegiate you know uh intellectual friends uh, scholars that he would that he would meet with all the time, and some of them he he asked me he was like, "Can you tell me what is what is the hope? Explain to me the hope that you that you experience in God." And they were you know they were talking about it. they were you know describing it and the theology of this and the theology of that the the scholastic you know explanations of this and then he was just they're explaining all these things in theolog- theological terms, theological terms philosophy and yet he was utterly disgusted by them because none of them lived what they said he said i wanted nothing to do with their religion with their empty and hollow faith but then he went to another group of friends that were not scholars that were not theologians they were poor you know regular people and he they couldn't explain the hope that they had, they couldn't explain why the, the hope of God was was in their lives, but he saw it, and he experienced it, and all these things, the, all, all the fruit of the Spirit, the the love of God, the outpouring of His Holy Spirit, all of these things aren't necessarily things that can be explained. They can be attested to and witnessed by, like I just did to you. I was a witness of what God did in my life. And so you saw me explain my, what, my experience. I don't know how it happened. All I know is what was, what happened. And I know it was spiritually significant. And I know it was God. And so hope and peace may not be something that we can put our finger on and explain it. 
But do people see your life and hear your heart? And do they see and experience God's peace in your life? Do they see and experience God's hope in your life? Because you've experienced God's hope. Do they experience, see and experience God's love through you? Because you've experienced God's love. So asking God, and this, I know, I understand that this is counter to all of our Western intellectualism and reasoning and logic. We want answers. We want explanation. We want the scientific method. But God is very Eastern in that he doesn't just simply tell you knowledge and reason and logic. He will give you experience. When you desire to experience God, he will let you experience him. He wants you to experience him. He desires that you experience him. So this, this season, as we're, as we're getting into this, this season of, of Christmas, right? And, we're, you know, and, a lot of, and we're, we're talking about Jesus a lot. The birth of Jesus Christ. The, the advent of Jesus. The anticipation, the awaiting of Jesus, right? Maybe this is the season for us to the Advent season for us, the anticipation, the, the waiting and the yearning and the seeking God's Holy Spirit in our lives, in our homes, in our church more. And praying that, that we, we, each of us, would be people that, would, that we would describe one another as, you know, Eric, full of the Holy Spirit. Neil, full of the Holy Spirit. Sharon, full of the Holy Spirit. Alan, full of the Holy Spirit. Ryan, full of the Holy Spirit. That's how they described it in the Bible. It was those who welcomed God's Holy Spirit presence in their lives. So let's ask God to do it again. Do it again. Lord Jesus... Holy Spirit, Father, do it again. Do it again, Holy Spirit. Pour out your presence on your people that we can experience you. We want you, Holy Spirit. We want you, Lord. We are your church. This is your church, Holy Spirit. Do what you desire here. Lord, we want your presence. Help us to seek after your presence. And Lord, teach us to pray every day for you to do it again in us. Do it again in me. Do it again in me, Lord. Do it again in your church. Do it again in your big C church all across this valley all across this region, all across the state, all across this country, Lord. Do it again. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon all flesh. That we may experience the hope, the peace, the joy, and the love of Christ. We love you, Holy Spirit. We love you, Lord. Do it again.
For it's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.